0: Who's fired up to be in the house of God this weekend? Come on, somebody. Woo! Wow, what a great weekend. So good to see you guests. We're thrilled you're here at all of our campuses. We love you guys so much. If you're uh, online, we're thrilled you're with us. God Behind Bars, so excited. Man, this is one of my favorite weekends of the year, a Heart for the Harvest offering. And we're just so excited, so thrilled. Great to have you, man, just I believe God's gonna do some incredible things. Hope you're open for what the Lord wants to say to you. In Matthew chapter nine, Jesus on one of his many trips to the Galilee, it's one of my favorite places to go in Israel. It says this, going through all the cities and all the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. If you'll just look around in America right now, we have every kind of sickness. Are y'all with me? It surrounds us, it's all around us. There are children without fathers. I mean, the, the highest level ever. There are people without homes or food. There are people struggling with suicide, anxiety, and depression. And just this last week, a whole, a whole just flooding of seeds of hatred and division. As we go into the voting booths, listen, don't let people in politics who want power make you hate people you don't know. Are y'all with me? You can't win. You can't impact. It's crazy that we get on Facebook and we sit and talk about how bad we hate people we've never done. If you had a conversation with them, even though they stay on the other, they're on the other side of the aisle, you wouldn't hate them. Man, get out there where people are. It's all around us. Not to mention people that are desperate for love. People are desperate for their marriage to be restored. People in desperate need of the gospel, the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Are y'all with me? It's out there. Do you see it, though? Three of you. Come on. Come on, Bristol. Do you want to see it? I think most of us don't want to see it. We live insulated and isolated. We just don't want to see it. And so we ignore it. We act like it's not there because if I see it, maybe I'll be responsible. Hey, ignorance is no excuse for the law. You're running 55 and the speed limit drops to 35 and you get pulled over and tell the police officer, I'm so sorry, I didn't know. He'd say, oh, no problem, you can leave. Is that what he says? (laughs) License and registration, please, sir. That's 20 over, Reckless reckless driving too while we're here. But I didn't know. We can ignore it. It doesn't mean we're still not responsible. So Matthew, in that same passage, goes on. And it says, seeing the people. Jesus never missed the problem. Aren't you glad that Jesus saw you? See, Jesus seeing the people felt compassion for them, for they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And one of the reasons I love to to do word studies in the Greek is because the illustrations that we don't get, because the word dispirited and distressed are better translated mauled and thrown to the ground. Dispirited and distressed. Mauled and thrown to the ground. Did you see the have you seen the clip in the Rivenant where DiCaprio is attacked by the bear twice? Mauled and left for dead, that's what, that's the, that is the picture that Jesus wants us to get because that's where people are, where we live, work, study, shop, and play. They are mauled and they're left to the ground. Some of those people we disagree with. Some of those people you don't like, they don't sound like you, they don't act like you, they don't think like you, they're different. But there are people all around us that have been left for dead, they've been mauled, they're dispirited and distressed by an enemy who hates them and hates you and wants to destroy them. So Jesus goes on, Matthew, recording what Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. There are people dispirited, distressed, listen, mauled by life, mauled by the devil. And he said, but the workers are so few. Why? Because we're not looking. Many of us are spending all of our time in the mirror, and in the, in the, taking selfies, 50 of them, till we get one we think looks okay. Are you with me? And then another 30 minutes filtering it. And then another posting it, humble, hashtag humble. <laughs> hashtag not about me. It should be hashtag get out of the mirror and get in the harvest field. Are y'all with me? Come on, somebody. That's the deal. So as I was working on this message, the thought hit me. There's always more vision than resources. Have you ever noticed that? In fact, that's why some of you say, well, all the church wants is my money. Money, money, money. All they they want is my money. Listen, if that's your thought, it's a red flag to say you're greedy that you don't want to give. Because, listen, don't give to faith promise. Give to inward youth. Give to four, four. you know, give to one of the ministries we support. See, when you say all they want is my money and you don't give anything, it's not about us. It's about you. You're greedy. Just go ahead and say it. (laughs) Amen? Come on. While you're taking that selfie, say I'm greedy. I want it all for myself. Are you all okay? So, come on. See, (laughs) so you say, what? Is he mad? No, I'm not mad. I'm having an incredible day. I'm having fun with this, too. Some of y'all, it's sort of fun watching you squirm. It's fun. I had this warped, evil sense of humor. That's your pastor. So, see, vision is about sowing things that are to come. They need to be reaped into reality. So let me ask you, are we still faith people? Twelve of you, are we still faith people? Come on, Anderson. Listen, are, are we still kingdom people? Yes, so, so, what God wants to do is give us sight to see what He sees, to what, do what He desires. Because really, we get to play a part in bringing Jesus back. Because Jesus said, when the gospel is preached to the ends of the earth, I'm coming back. I don't know about you, but I want him to come back. I'd rather be in heaven than here. Now, I'm having a great day. I'm loving life, but, you know, I, man, I'd rather be in heaven. For, anybody else rather be in heaven? Come on, heaven's gonna be good. Heaven's gonna be good, and so we get to be a part. We get to be a part of building the kingdom of God. You say, "Well, God can't use me." Actually, Jesus at Cesarea Philippi, talking to Peter, said this: "The gates of hell will not prevail against my gathering." We translate that church. It's a, in, in the American mind, church means building, so it's a bad translation. Really, I will build my gathering. We've gathered for God, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my gathering. If God could use Peter, a doubter. If God could use Peter, a denier. If God could use Peter, a deserter, God can use you. If God can be, use me, God can use you. Many of you are not used by God because you believe the lie straight from the lips of Lucifer that God can't use you. And let me tell you, you're going to stand before God at the beam seat of judgment, and he's going to say, why didn't you serve me? Why didn't you invest my kingdom? And you're going to say, I didn't think you could use me. And Jesus, like the police officer, is going to say, oh, I didn't realize that. You're good. Is that what he's going to say? No. Come on. We're trying to help you. God can use me. He can use you. No question about that. I mean, listen, some of you here this weekend, man, you're, you're new and you say, I don't understand the Bible or God or this church stuff. I'm not sure. Well, we just want to help you take your next step and it's at every campus Sunday evening and, and man, love to invite you and your family to be a part. Why? To help you take your next step in learning about God. Learning what your next step is, learning what we do. But for those of us that are Christ followers, we should know and see the needs of lost people that are always around us. See, a heart for the harvest is an offering, but far more important than the offering is the heart for the harvest. The harvest, listen, the harvest is white, but the labors are few. Now, Jesus is teaching, doing a Bible conference. It's been there for a couple days. The crowds have swelled to, you know, 20, 30,000, and the disciples stop Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, listen, the people are hungry. I believe they were hungry. And they blamed the people, are you with me? And they said, Jesus, you gotta, the people are hungry, you gotta take a break. And Jesus said, what do you boys think we should do about it? And what do they say? Send them home, because there's nothing we can do. And that is the mantra of the 21st century American church With a very small God with limited power, there's nothing we can do. We look at problems, we say the problems are too big. No, your God is too small. Our God wants to use this place in revival. He wants to use this body to change this city, the state, and the world. And our God can use anybody he wants to, and he wants to use us. Come on, somebody. Well, you know, I post on social media, you know, get your hands dirty. Students, how about that classmate who's struggling with his or her identity? Are you gloving on them? How about somebody in your family who's deciding whether they're going to abort a child or not? How about a coworker that's self-medicating because of the pain that they've been through? Well, there's nothing I can do. In the Greek, there's an incredible word, bull. (laughs) Are y'all with me? There is something you do, and that's what the season is about. It's not about raising dollars. It's about raising disciples. It's about God opening our heart to his harvest. Jesus modeled it. He showed us what to do. He did it, then we do it. He was always ready to teach, always ready to give the gospel, always ready to help every need, always ready to give, re- give vision for something incredible. Why? Because he knew he had the resources to accomplish it. So he's he's in that same season teaching. And the disciples say, send them home. There's nothing we can do. And Jesus said, you feed them. Oh, come on, Lord. There's not anything we can do. You feed them. And they bring the lunch. See, Jesus didn't just see a little boy's lunch. He saw an incredible opportunity for a God move. You know, if you know that God is big, you run to problems. You run to them. You have a coworker has got cancer, you run to their office. Hey, can I pray for you? I believe God will heal you today. You see a need, you run to that need. Are y'all with me? That's how, the, that's how we should live our lives. So Jesus feeds 20,000 people that day with a couple of, f- couple of sardines and a couple of biscuits. And the disciples were awestruck that he would take the meager resources and multiply them. God is going to take our offering this weekend and he is going to multiply it. Are y'all with me? It's going to multiply. Do we believe the Bible? Yes. So then, so let, again, here's, here's the deal. I think we only believe the part of the Bible we do. You may know a lot about the Bible, lots of information, but you only believe what you do. Does that make sense? 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verse six. Now I say this, he who sows sparingly, and there are many in the American church so sparingly, there's a lot of faith promise. You ever when your kids are little and you take them to the beach and get that little bitty kit, little bitty bucket, little bitty shovel? It's so cute, they build little sand castles. But that's how many Christians are today. Little bitty shovel, little bitty, little bitty. Are y'all with me? Little bitty, little bitty, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. He that sows sparingly reaps what? He that sells bountifully, give me a full-grown man shovel. Man, he that sells bountifully shall reap bountifully. Each one, each one must do as he purpose in his or her heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, the tithe is required. Free will offerings are not. Don't listen, don't be, don't feel, don't feel guilt that you gotta give or no, come on. Some of you feel guilty because what you're going to give is not much. Do not feel guilty. We can only give out of what we have. Are you with me? That's just all we can do. Just, don't give. God loves the true forgiver. And God is what? What's that word? God is? Our God is able. I tell God all the time, God, you're limitless, you're able. You can do it, God. Come on, bring it. You can do it, God. And our God is able to make how much grace abound? Aww. All grace abound to you so that always having some sufficiency. Aww. You're sure? Yeah. Then what are you worried about? All sufficiency in everything. You have an abundance for every good deed. That's written, he scatters abroad, God sow and seed and he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he's who supplies he who supplies seed to the sower, listen, every dollar, every dime, every penny we give, God gave us. The first free will we talked about in the series, Pastor Zach talked about the tabernacle. Every dime, every diamond, every gold, everything they gave was given to them when they left Egypt. Everything you have, God gave you. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and what? Multiply your seed for sowing and do what? And increase the harvest of your righteousness, you will be what enriched. enriched you don't even want to say those words, do you? Come on, you'll be enriched in everything with all liberality which through which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. There'll be all kind of gifts given this. This weekend, there'll be all sizes and shapes, children that'll break piggy banks, teenagers that have saved money, single mothers, senior adults on on fixed income, business people who are able to write significant checks. It will be all. And you know what? Every gift matters to the kingdom. Every gift matters to the kingdom. We've been talking about sowing and reaping. It goes, last week I was in Matthew 13. Let me pick up the next verse. Matthew 13, verse 31, he presented another parable to them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And it is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger, than the garden plants and become a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. See, even the smallest gift sown into the ministry multiplies into a great ministry. Are you with me? Heart for the harvest is not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. Now, do we believe the word? Come on, do we believe the word? It's gonna be all sufficiency in everything because what we have to realize is every day you're sowing seed, every day you're reaping. That's the law of the harvest. You'll reap more than you sowed and you'll reap later than you sowed. But you are good. So we're all reaping every day and we're all harvesting every day. We're all sowing, we're all reaping, whether you realize it or not. The question is, what harvest is your heart set on? Is it set on UT winning the national championship this year? How many want to know how to lose? So UT, come on somebody, you know what I'm talking about. Come on, you know, there's nothing wrong with sports. It's fun. It's just a harvest field. Are you with me? Well, because whether UT wins or not, doesn't affect eternity. Now, some of you, your joy is hooked on UT score. Holy moly, grow up. Are you with me? Now, some of you that thought you got of hook, you're, you're, you're dependent on what Alabama does or Georgia does. Come on. Are, I will come to your house today. <laughs> what harvest is your heart set on? Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Some of us is in our house, in our vehicles, in our kids, in our retirement plans, in our money. This is what I believe. Come on, if you're listening, say him. If you set your heart on God's harvest, God will set his heart on yours. Let me say that again. If you will set your heart on God's harvest, God will set his heart on yours. How do you know that? Because he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteous, and all these other things gonna be added unto it. All these other things are your harvest. But you gotta set your eyes on God's harvest first. Does that make sense? Reading a great book, and I've, I've used a lot of ways to try to communicate this truth. I actually already said it to it three times this weekend. But, but the author's writing about Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. What makes this story more ironic is that wisdom is that the wisdom which was given to Solomon would have kept him from error if he had only lived by what he knew to be true. If ever there was an example of what it is like to know things in the mind that don't become a personal experience, this is it. Knowledge of the truth that is unapplied. Most of us are educated beyond the level of our obedience. Are you all with me? Knowledge that is unapplied eventually deadens us to the full impact of those specific truths. Strangely, we become insulated from the conviction of the Holy Spirit concerning the truths we understand the most if they have not impacted our lifestyle. We only believe the parts that we do. Does this make sense? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. His righteousness. Do we believe heaven's real? Do we believe hell is real? changes everything, changes everything. See, the gospel changes how we live, what we do, the trajectory of our life. So now the people that you know may not believe the Bible, but they should know you believe it because of how you live. Now, let me give you a biblical example, Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He wrote the book Jeremiah and the book Lamentations. If you're depressed, don't go to Lamentations. Because you will take your life. Go to Philippians. Go somewhere else. But so Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah is doing his best to preach a difficult truth in a horrible day in Israel's history. Israel had become so wicked, and they had idols under every green tree on every hill. They put the Baal idol in the temple of God on Mount Zion. They they had a 20-foot skillet. they would build fires under, the iron would grow red hot, and they would throw their babies onto the skillet and cook them to the god Molech. In the midst of that sin and degradation, God says, Jeremiah, one last time to warn the people, if you do not turn, I'm going to come. I'm going to send my servant Nebuchadnezzar, a lost man with a lost army, and he's going to come and bring my wrath. And the people say, that's not going to happen. God wouldn't do that. No way. See, in this day, in the last days, we heap, we heap up teachers that will tickle our ears. That's what the Bible says. And so the Babylonians come. And Jeremiah says, listen, you're going to lose. If you'll just surrender, everybody will live. But if you fight, everybody's going to die. So they throw him in prison. They put him in a well. They beat him. They put him in socks. It's horrible. So he's in prison. And God comes to Jeremiah and says, hey, Jeremiah, listen, I'm going to send your cousin the son of your uncle Hananiah he's going to come to you and he's going to ask you to buy the field that the family owns in Anathoth now in that day if you wanted to sell property there was a list of people that you had to go through those that had first right of refusal right of redemption in Israel's law so they kind of become so he's going to come buy the field so as cousin comes, Jeremiah, you've got right of redemption, you need to buy that field. Now understand what this would be like. It'd be like me coming to you saying, I've got an incredible lakefront property in the Ukraine. And I'm gonna sell it to you for a great price. Are you gonna buy that property? No, Putin may get it. Who knows what's gonna happen in the Ukraine? It's crazy over there, I'm not buying that. That's what God said, Jeremiah, so prove, because Jeremiah said, the Babylonians are going to take us, they're going to destroy the temple, they're going to burn Jerusalem, they're going to take those that are alive back as slaves, and in 70 years we'll be released by Cyrus the Persian, and we will come back and rebuild the temple. And so he's telling you to prove the people that what you're preaching, you believe, buy that field, sell the deeds, and when the people come back, your family will still have the farm in Anathoth. See, God wants us to prove we believe what we say. We prove it by how we live, not by what notes we write, not by, not by what doctrine we say we believe. Come on. Now, faith problems come a long way, baby. The faith of the founders, man, they've carried us for a generation. They have seeded an incredible move. Some of you have never seen these, but the very first Sunday we met was in Garden Plaza in Oak Ridge. It's today called the Double Tree. There it is, it's right there. We met there, the glory fell. People were pulling up in the parking lot saying, what's going on inside the hotel? God was moving. He was sealing that he wanted to do something. Then within a week, they bought an old Church of God building on Iroquois Avenue. And this was where Faith Promise lived for the next couple years. Now, you see that beautiful green yard? It went away because it was a sinkhole right there in the front yard. We had 15 parking spaces. And it seated about 125 people. We went for one service, two services, three service. God was moving. People were being saved. Went to the Oak Ridge Mall, which doesn't really exist anymore. And we were right beside Pennies. We'd go in this back entrance, and every Sunday we'd go set it up. We'd tear it down. We'd set it up. We'd tear it down. Come on, North Knoxville. You know what it's like to do that. Are you with me? Man, we, a lot, bunch of our campuses have been set up. So we set up, we tore down every week. But God was continuing to save people. The vision was becoming a reality. And then we bought and we moved to the mountain where the Pellissippi campus is. Now, you might not be able to tell from that, but that building is smaller than the building we bought for the North Campus. That building seated 700 people if every chair was full. So we could only seat about 5,550 550 in that building didn't have enough room, there was a five foot hallway around the back of the sanctuary that everybody left at the same time to get their kids across the hall. It was insane, it was ridiculous. We went from a couple hundred weekly to 10,000 weekly. We went from one campus in one community to 12 campuses and 12 communities. So far now, over 9,100 people have given their hearts to Jesus and followed Him in Believer's baptism. Come on. We have an incredible history of ROI, return on the investment of Jesus' blood and a cross. And we believe now that we're gonna sacrifice for the next generation, the lost that are here and the lost that are coming, another generation. Let me show you where a portion of Heart for the Harvest is going as we go back to where it all started.
1: Robert, thank you for joining us today. Um, We're so excited to have you guys here, have you as one of our Heart for the Harvest partners. Tell us a little bit about the ministry that you and
2: Rima are doing in Israel. Our goal is to get the gospel to every person in Israel. Being Israeli citizens, we decided that being in a country where people aren't exposed to the gospel that we would use the freedom we have to get the gospel out to every person we could. So that's one of our
1: themes this year for our Heart for the Harvest is that we want to be planting seeds for the harvest. So what are some of those ways that you guys are planting seeds in Israel? The
2: way that we found that is most effective is through the house church. It's just a small intimate group where people can interact with the gospel, by way of the Holy Spirit to grow and use their gifts that God's given them in the context of the church.
1: And so you and Rima are kind of overseeing this effort to reach people with the gospel and then you guys are raising up leaders to lead these house churches
2: and kind of overseeing those house churches. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, we're trying to start a house church movement in Israel. We have a small house church network around 50, 60 churches. All of this comes from the work of spreading the gospel. When someone uh, comes to faith or is interested in knowing more, the house church in Israel is really the best format because it's small, it's intimate, and this is uh, a way where they can engage with God's word on a personal level.
1: So Robert, this year for Heart for the Harvest, we're gonna be partnering with you and your wife, Rima. What does that partnership look like for you guys on the ground in Israel?
2: giving uh to our ministry just helps us to get the gospel out more like it says in romans the power of god's salvation is the gospel and the only way they can come to know the lord is to hear the gospel and have the holy spirit use that in their lives to bring them to faith so that's uh the most important thing that's why we do what we do and having faith promised there in prayer to support us is really the most important thing Mm. well we really
1: appreciate what you do. You're an encouragement to us. So we really think that you're just an amazing example of a, a family who is living to win their world. So thank you, Robert.
0: Cool. Going back to where it all started, as a matter of fact, every undesignated dollar, that means a general offering that comes in. We take 10% out for missions and we are working it where we where we tithe our missions back. To Israel to win the people where it all started. The Bible says, pray for the peace Jerusalem. Blessed are those that pray for Israel. See, I don't want anybody to say what I said. Nobody cared for my soul. So we're gonna we're gonna start with one percent of the state of Tennessee. We're gonna go around the world, for Bridge, Israel, One Hope, Other Partners. Why do we sacrifice? We sacrifice we sacrifice because we believe the Bible. Amen. We sacrifice because we love God. We sacrifice because we love people. We sacrifice because we wanna win the world. That we believe the next generation is going to soar beyond anything this generation did. Do you know we have staff members that were not even born when Faith Promise started? Come on, that's incredible. Founders, that might make you feel old a little bit, does me? They weren't even born. Incredible young men and women of God who are fired up. I believe what the Bible says, the glory of the latter days will greatly exceed the glory of the former days. It's going to get better. Nothing is going to stop this mighty move of God. No demon, no hell, no devil, no culture, none of this world, no sickness, no COVID, no fear of greed is going to stop. This mighty move of God called Faith Promise. Come on. And I tell you, I'm fired up that in in August, Pastor Zach, who is burdened, who is fired up, who is a radical, will take the lead into a next generation. Come on, who's excited as we move forward to that? Come on, next gen. And here's the deal, the only way to stop it is us. If we lack heart. If we grow apathetic. If we grow complacent on our couches. If we grow tired of doing well. The Bible says, "Do not grow weary in well doing, knowing that you will reap, if you do not faint." See, we're we're gonna we're gonna we can't rest on what we've done. We are not gonna take this high-powered race car called Faith Promise and put it in neutral. We're going to put rocket fuel in it. We're going to supercharge it. And we're going to move into the future. When Jesus comes back, he's going to find us in his harvest field, winning people and making a difference. You have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So come on, Next Gen. It's time for you to rise up. It's time for you to serve. The kingdom of God is sown by the seeds of faith and sacrifice, that is belief and action. Michelle and I will give her our biggest gift ever this weekend, largest amount we've ever given. Why, because we love God, because we love people, because we believe in the vision and we wanna win this world. I was so lost and nobody cared. Pray therefore, the Lord of the harvest would put thrust us into the harvest field. Are you with me? Pray that God would throw laborers into the field. And so, I, we keep this picture in our in our it's by our sink. We see it every day. Beautiful little seven year old promiser. Her name is Adeline. COVID was raging in 2020. Jen, Adeline's mom, and Adam, her father actively involved in Faith Promise, Uh, they did not know that Adeline had an immune compromising disease. Her mother was in the middle of a very high risk pregnancy. Adeline was rushed to the hospital because COVID, COVID was killing her. Her mother could not even go be with her as she lived her last hours. But in the months before COVID, Adeline was actively involved in Faith Promise Kids. Adeline came home and told her mom and dad, I gave my heart to Jesus. Her mom and dad took her to kid steps, which she was baptized and loved Faith Promise and loved coming here. I can't imagine losing a child. I can't imagine Jen not even be able to go to the hospital. But you know what gives them hope and joy today? Adeline's with Jesus. She's with Jesus. You know, there's Adalyn's that live next door to you. They go to your school. They work where you work. They play where you play. They're on your ball team. They're in Israel. They're with the 410 Bridge. They're in One Hope. And it's up to us. It's up to us. Our responsibility to get in the harvest field. And so, heart for the harvest is an offering, but it is about a heart for the harvest.